kids welcome to wednesday night musical osmosis where intelligent dissonant thought meets melodic euphonious reality i am your musically magnanimous host nick the saucy one cat source broadcasting to you as always in the shadow of hurricane mountain here in tennessee and i also want to introduce my percussively proficient co-host calling in from charm city maryland yeah odell from good old Charm City, I think by now everybody knows which city is named Charm City, right? I hope so. I hope so. If not, for those that don't, talking about the one and only Baltimore, Maryland. Yes, our fans <laughs> should know, though, after about 60 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope so. I hope they're not that slow to catch on. I think we have a pretty bright audience. Yeah, definitely. In the background, making sure this ship doesn't go down like the Hindenburg we have the magnificent D Maven. Yes, uh, that is me. I am she, and I will apologize in advance for any echo in today's episode because Skype is kind of a dick, and um, according to the Google bot, that is the problem today. So. If you hear it, yeah, just try and ignore it. Listen to the louder noises first and just get over it. Whatever. <laughs> I'm so Sage advice it. from the Maven. I'm so fucked I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> By the way, an update. Um, before we get started, I'm still having problems with Nerdus. I don't know who all is familiar with what happened with Nerdus and Chris Hardwick. but Oh, he, yeah. Her, hit her. His ex-girlfriend of three years from 15 years ago, this model and cosplayer, Chloe Daskra. Am I saying that right? Dykstra? Dykstra, Dykstra I think, yeah. She came out yep. with an article in Media Magazine and accused Chris of all this sexual abuse and stuff that she, and we already went through this with Rachel the other day, but what she is claiming is sexual abuse. And Nerdist has scrubbed him from the network. Every Nerdist episode, everything he was on, they scrubbed him as a founder. You can't find his name. It was like what the WWE did when Chris Benoit like killed his family. And yeah, Nerdist is doing this with fucking Hardwick. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know the full gist. I mean, it's it's basically um, it's that really that thin line because it's like there's there was that. I guess that note that she wrote and it, but didn't put his name in it. And then, but then there's more to it than that, but that hasn't really come out because of all the craziness that's happened. You know, like AMC, I think, uh, uh, squashed, um, uh, uh, talking, talking dead. with Chris Hardwick and, yeah, talking and, dead. and, 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 and um, then all the comic con, every, uh, all the comic con stuff too. So, um, I don't know where to go from here. I, I, I wouldn't, hope that everything would come out before because it was it was you knew who she was talking about 
from the thing, but I would like to. But it was shady, right? Know. Because her boyfriend, she said she wasn't going to release the name. And in about eight hours, nine hours later, her boyfriend tweeted out the name and said, you know, if you're going to deny Chris Hardwick, I'm going to tweet out the name. But he hadn't even made a public statement yet. He didn't make yeah. a public statement. This was like right after midnight. And he didn't make a public statement until later on that day. So, right. uh, well, my beef's not with her. Like, I don't know what happened with them. My beef is with Nerdis. Before they even released his name, they kicked him off the network and scrubbed, like, hundreds, if not thousands of hours of Hardwick interviews off of that website without the actual facts or story coming out. So I wrote Nerdis in several different places, tweeted at him, and was like, look, I was on one of your shows back in 2015. I want that show removed from your website in solidarity, in solidarity with Hardwick because I think right. you guys are fucking railroading him. And, you know, they read my email because I sent one on Facebook, too. Never got back with me. And then I tweeted at him yesterday. I was like, oh, so you can take down like a thousand hours of Chris Hardwick, but you can't take down this one episode of my content per my request. We see where your loyalties are now. And I'm really pissed off at them that they won't take that content down. Yeah, and it's, so, it's just uh, it's such a and it I mean and it's unfortunate that we're and at such a heightened state of like everything. Everything is so heightened that um, it's more like because there's been and and like whatever happens if he if it comes out that he did do all this stuff and. You know, oh, she's kind of backpedaling on that now. Some tweets yeah. came out, or not tweets, but texts came out where she was begging for him back for like three, four months afterwards, and he was still being really chill about it. And now she wrote something today and kind of was like, he stood by my side. I'm not trying to say he's particularly evil. Um, this got way out of hand. So now she's trying to backtrack. But I, like I said, my beef's not with her. That's that's on them. My right. beef is nerdish jumping the gun and going, oh, my God, he's been accused of something. Got to scrub everything. Even scrubbed his name as the founder. I just thought that that was really cruddy on their part, man. And I don't want my brand or my product to be associated with them. And that's how they're going to conduct themselves. Right. I mean, yeah, it, it, the same thing happened years ago with, uh, I think it was like you said, Kristen Wall, which was, uh, of course, but that uh, was justified. A, a whole nother world. But uh, Hulk Hogan, it happened with him, too. If you, um, you know, with the whole thing with Gawker. And, um, uh, you know, as soon as that the tape came out and, and some of the things that he said, they literally, there's nothing associated with him, even though he won the, the court case and all that, there's nothing on the WWE. That's well, he turned Gawker's Hogan. lights out though. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So they paid so. a price for it. All right, let's get our guest in here. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. Cause we did a whole episode on it the other day. Um, today's <laughs> guest, D. Are you still back there? Who's today's guest? Oh my gosh! Yes, I am back here. Can am I still back here? Uh, yeah, you're yeah. actually better when you're not muted now. Oh, am I really? I see, that's yeah. so weird. I see. I still hear it. Life, man, just life. Um, <laughs> today, I see. I can still hear it. <laughs> yeah, now it's worse again. Of course it is. Um, so today we have. Uh, I think one of the more interesting uh, people that we've had on in a while, because uh, we're going to hear four different songs this evening, and three of them she had a hand in. So yeah. that's kind of kind of a little crazy. Kinda Plus, little crazy. I'm very classically trained. I've got so much to dig in with her. Let's get her in here. Yes. D, 
Who do we have on? Miss Hannah Rose Dexter. Hannah. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, musical friends. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for calling in. It's evening here on the East Coast. Um, I want to tell you something crazy to happen. I was checking out all your stuff because I'm a studious, diligent little host. And I was checking Mm -hmm. out all things Hannah Rose Dexter this past week. And I was blown away that when I booked you, I had no idea you worked on Ember Knight's movie, King of L.A., on the music for that. We had her on oh, a few you didn't. months ago, and I'm a huge yeah. fan of hers, and I can't believe I didn't know that. I assumed that that's how you found out about me, was that no. I scored her film. No, I didn't know <laughs> that. <laughs> well, now you know. Yeah, it's amazing. And I know her album, The Disappointment Cowboy, is coming out mm-hmm. next Thursday. That's the 21st. Uh, tomorrow. Oh, is it tomorrow? Tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Where's my mm-hmm. head at? Comes out tomorrow, <laughs> kids. So definitely go check out Disappointment Cowboy. I've heard some of it, and it's amazing. And But you also had a hand in that album as well, right? I did. I did. I had two hands in it. Nice. <laughs> And you played what? The upright bass or just regular bass? Mm-hmm. Yeah, upright bass. All right. And tell upright. us a little bit about the video, Three Beers Bad, that um, it just dropped the other day. I saw you posted it on your page and I was just blown away by it. As I am, everything Hi. Ember has a creative hand in. Oh, yeah. Yes. She's very prolific, magical mayor, uh, king candidate for the city of Los Angeles. And I couldn't be more excited whenever she calls me to work on a project of hers. Um, but Three Beers Bad is the last single from her new album, The Disappointment Cowboy. And uh, and I don't even really know how you begin to describe that song. It seems to cover or exist in three very different worlds within you know the few minutes that the song takes place in. Um, but kind of hoed down, kind of, dismal train sounds found sounds i mean that's ember though any anything that she finds on the side of the road is fair game for musical for music sounds (laughs) yeah well we had her on here i was just blown away i really dug into her work as well and like but you guys seem very simpatico you guys seem like you have the same kind of view of music and of creativity and artistic view in my opinion it has the same vibe that's very sweet of you to say. I think we, I think uh, we've both been climbing up the same music mountain, but from different base camps. You know, I've she's been coming at it all from like the theater performance side and and writing and and creative output, and I've been coming more the tr- traditional, you know, practice and and theory and and uh, classic tr- classically trained side of it. And then we're meeting meeting at the top of it right now. <laughs> She's so constantly... you would say you have like the traditional pack burrow and she has like a crazy one-eyed Sherpa going up that mountain. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad way to put it. You know, on both of our ascent to the top, she's she's helping me to put out more more of my own original material and I'm helping her to get some of the you know classic terminology and and methods of uh performance down you know, and, and just helping each so, other to the top of it. So you definitely see like the influence between you two, as far as, you know, your side of things, have, have you seen it actually influence her in the way she creates things now and vice versa? Ooh, that's a very good question. Uh, 
Well, I mean, her and I have started really working together ever since uh, the King of L.A. started filming, which I guess was a year ago. Uh, yeah, I know. It was a long process, kind of like guerrilla documentary <laughs> making. Very guerrilla, very guerrilla. Um, but basically, right about the time I started working on the score for that, she was asking me to record stuff for her album. So okay. possibly a little too soon to say, because we're still finishing up the material from, you know, when our collaboration has started. But who knows what, you know, my album is probably just about six months away from release. And... Man, if she wasn't constantly on me about it, it would be further and further away from release. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to talk about that solo project um, coming up here in a little bit, but I, I also want to talk about your work in film because you were involved with another movie, Wild um, Prairie Rose, right? Yeah, yeah, there was. What is that process like when, like the collaborative process, when you're working on a movie or a film as opposed to making music for an album or to play live? Is it like more intense and more constrictive because you've got to work in that framework of the plot or is it more free and creatively because you're kind of stepping out of your pocket and doing something that has a lot more dimension to it since it is visual? That's a good, that's a good question. Uh, it seems like, and so far with the films, I seem to have kind of an easier time putting or making the material for it because it's all you know, almost with a writing prompt, you have this scene and there needs to be, you know, these musical builds and, and this excitement, like here at this millisecond and there at that millisecond, you know, sometimes when you're really constrained by direction, it just gets easier to do what sounds right, as opposed to when you're only working for yourself and you can say, I can, I have the option to do literally anything that I want to here. So where do I even begin? Um, but at least for Wild Prairie Rose and for Ember's film, King of L.A., you know, both of the directors and I would sit down and kind of come up with a sound palette of the, nice. of like the tonal colors we were going to pull from. And so for Wild Prairie Rose, the director, Deborah Levine, really wanted something that was, that film takes place in 1952. She really wanted something that was you know, of the 50s, so no crazy synthesizers or no, nothing too hallmark, you know, soundtrack. Like, we wanted something that sounded like it could be there in that world. Um, and then and then I was just trying to figure out how much of my own personality stamp I could put on, you know, the rhythms and the chord choices and textures and such. But pretty much right away, the director loved what I had to do, so she didn't have too many edits each time I would turn in a track and same for Ember working on King of LA, her and I, you know, I, I had been watching Ember's comedy for quite a while and was really uh, enthralled with her brand and her King of LA uh, campaign. And so it just seemed like there was only one answer of what kind of soundtrack she needed. And that was one solely taken from the beach boys pet sounds album. Um, but disguised but disguised and and reworked you know to fit her needs it's such a rabbit hole to go down what i want to do now is play (laughs) three beer three it's so hard to say three beers bad (laughs) which is off disappointment Mm -hmm. cow 
Cowboy, which drops tomorrow. And I'm assuming you can just Google the name or find it on her SoundCloud cloud for purchase, yeah. right? Or Bandcamp. It's Bandcamp, Bandcamp, yeah. Right, gotcha. Oh, it's on Bandcamp, and she just pressed the album to cassette and picked up those cassettes today. So nice. if you cassette. love analog like some of us do, you can send away for it. Yeah, nobody under 30 knows what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> Because sad. Why is that something you put in a microwave? Um, D, <laughs> do we want to play some Three Bears Bad? we are back and i want to dig in here about your bio because i was blown away from just how much you've achieved in such a short career man i mean yes oh my goodness so oh. classically trained um attended cal arts i know you were involved in the glass menagerie which was directed mm -hmm. by deborah levine i don't know who that is and james franco there's so much that you've that you've already done um but I had read a little snippet on here that said if it wasn't for James Brown's album, Funk Power, 
your musical <laughs> career might have gone a completely different trajectory. Very true. Very true. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your classical background and then tell us how the Godfather of Soul kind of changed the trajectory of your musical <laughs> life. Well, uh, I grew up in a pretty musical household. My dad has played uh, Middle Eastern and North African hand drums for the last 40 years of his life. Um, oh, wow. And then, yeah, and is quite good at it. Uh, and then had recently taken up the Celtic harp when I was in, like, kindergarten. Um, all my sisters taught themselves to play piano, so it just seemed like I had no other choice but to learn. Um, and then as I was kind of going through the public middle school music program and looking at the different instruments that were out there to me. Uh, and what state was this like, in? Where did you grow up? This was in Oregon. This was uh, just outside of Portland. Uh, and, okay. Yeah. And the low end of things really always resonated with me. And just like any big cumbersome object I was pretty interested in. So once I learned what the upright bass was called, which took quite a while, uh, there wasn't really any other instrument I was interested in. And so uh, just like exploring where the upright bass was most well utilized uh, just led me to wanting to learn more classical music and, and focus on the technique of it all. Um, and in Oregon, in Portland, there were actually quite a few opportunities to study classical music at a pretty high level. There were a lot of uh, community, yeah, there were a lot of community, like junior orchestras. And there was one that had been around for about 80 years in Portland Youth Philharmonic, which I was playing in and had some really inspiring and optimistic, intense musical experiences at a very young age, just performing classical music at a high level um and then just meeting more friends in the music world in the high school musical world and seeing where they were getting their education from led me to this community big band in portland called the american music program which was under the direction of thera memory and he's very old school trumpet player uh from uh eatonville florida where neil hairston's books a lot of her books take place. Do you um, feel like you're the type of person that needed that kind of structure as a foundation? You couldn't have just gone out and winged it? Yeah, yeah. I, I responded well to pretty clear direction, which I guess is why why I like scoring for movies so much. Right, right. <laughs> it's just, it's just well, like, what's classical, the answer here? Yeah, With that classical okay. background, it seems like you've really, even though you have that, you the way you play the bass, though, it's very, I mean, some of the songs that, I listen to are very different than your normal classical bass, just the effects, mm -hmm. the, the sound. So from that, yeah. were there any like bands or anything that really influenced you to be like, Hey, wonder what this would sound like if I put this on here or wonder what oh. this would sound like if I added this pedal to this sound or effect to this, uh, to my bass. Sure. Uh, yeah. There's a Portland bassist named Glenn Moore who okay. played in this jazz trio called Oregon and he had his own solo stuff. And I used to listen to his album just all day, every day. He's got one album that's just, you know, classical bass technique. It's not classical music, but technique. Mm -hmm. And then it's altered and expanded and, and just warped. And it's just beautiful. <laughs> <So good. laughs> 
with that kind of stuff. There's also, um, I used to roller skate quite a bit in, okay. in high school, and there's a fantastic pipe organ in Oregon at the Oaks Park Roller Rink, and there's a great kind of ambient, uh, they call it acousmatique, when you take acoustic sounds and distort them, and there's a great album recorded on that organ called Oaks by the artist Ethan Rose. I think Portland okay. just has a large wealth of, you know, kind of ambient, ambient, classical, affected, just kind of mopey, beautiful, lush music that, that I was exploring when I was starting to figure this stuff out on my own. Nice. And then, okay, we got to talk about James Brown, though. Where's the Oh, other yeah. Guys? So, <laughs> oh, yeah. How can can't I leave out James Brown. We might can't leave out James. No, we can't. We really can't. Well, so... So as I was saying in the in the big band, uh, under the direction of Thera Memory, we would this band of high schoolers, like twenty or thirty kids, would rehearse three to four days a week in Portland, just every day after school, going and learning from him. And sometimes you'd show up to the three and a half hour rehearsal and you wouldn't play your instrument at all. He'd just talk to you or kind of act as a channel for some jazz gods that were trying to speak through him. Sometimes you would play nonstop. Sometimes he would just put on a record and tell you to shut up and listen. One day that record was was James Brown's Funk Power. And I had just like never heard anything like that. It sounded like a, well, no, I had heard something like that. The, the 90s ending credits for Sesame Street had this kind of Maceo Parker, like locomotive yeah. sound. Do you guys remember this? About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am much older. I was watching Sesame Street in the seventies. <laughs> well, I, I have three well, kids under all under the age of nine, so Sesame Street gets played a lot, and I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, they, Sesame Street always had a very good funky soundtrack to it. But I was growing up with the '90s Sesame Street, and I heard that sound, and it was really stuck in me. But kind of like not knowing what an upright bass was called for years, I didn't really know how to quantify that style of music until I heard James Brown and I was just getting into parliament funkadelic at that same time too. The thought that you could combine, Sweet. you know, a rock band with horns was wow. very thrilling. And so, but then to hear it done at such a high level in James Brown's band, it was just like, at that time I was preparing for a bunch of classical auditions on upright bass to go to college so I was like learning the Bach cello suites on the upright bass, which are really hard. They're hard on the cello. They're hard on the upright bass. They're like tons oh, wow. of times harder on the upright. And so feeling really frustrated with that and kind of trying to decide whether I wanted to spend my entire life playing centuries old music that only a handful of people really liked or spend my life playing only a few decades old of music that people really liked. Um, I heard funk power and, and just like couldn't play classical bass for a while. Just had to explore all the other options. That yeah, existed. James Brown will have that effect on you. And it's funny, Odell. Oh I remember so many like moments in my life, like the first time I saw Suicidal Tendencies on MTV. And I mm. was like, oh my God, it's like the music came to me and found me. Or the first time I heard yeah. Peg Boy and I basically took all my old glam metal tapes and threw them in the fucking garbage and was like, <laughs> what, what is this crap? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I wanted to listen to something fast and aggressive, but I hated all the like wanking on the guitar, 20-minute solos and the yeah. airspray and pyrotechnics. And then I heard this stripped-down emotional music of Peg Boy 
And I was like, oh, I get it. Warrant is garbage. Poison is garbage. And I like <laughs> threw it all in the trash. It's funny how that music will eventually find you, right? Oh yeah. yeah. And it lasts for that. And it and it's and it just continues like it's it's so ironic that you said, you know, you you found James Brown and you were listening to Parliament Funkadelic at the same time when, you know, somebody like Bootsy Collins who, you know, got his his chops, you know, pretty much handprinted on by James Brown, you know, ended yeah. up in with Parliament Funky Funkadelic. So it's like it was so funny that you said that and of course he he's one of the <laughs> baddest bass players ever to grace this earth. No so. lie there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was another thing was that on Funk Power, I mean James Brown was in the middle of a tour and then uh a bunch of his band members came to him with a list of demands saying that they wouldn't yes. play unless he met them. And he said, forget it, guys. And then he found Bootsy Collins and That's and it. his brother Catfish and flew them out that day to finish the tour. Like, That's it. I mean, yeah, they, did, yeah, so they literally came in and was like, I never because Bootsy was like a 18 or like, he was, he was, yeah, 16 or 17. 16 or 17. He's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm in here with James Brown. <laughs> Just <laughs> yesterday I was at home. I'm, now I'm in here with James Brown. Like, and he's telling me about, you know, hitting on the one and all this stuff. It's like, yeah. what in the world is going on? Let so me think back oh. for a minute, though, because this is, this is what flabbergasts me. I didn't know when I first reached out to you, and I feel like we've been talking a long time leading up to this episode. It has been a little was, bit. Yeah, I was texting you drunk in an arcade back in fucking Branson <laughs> two months ago. So there was a And I knew it was going to be a good interview. Yeah. Moment, I was like, they have, I think I even told you, I was like, they have mouthwash dispensers in this arcade and they're playing Fugazi. <laughs> what the hell's going you did on say in Branson? That crazy and i was just trying to get some details about what you wanted to talk about in the interview (laughs) yeah don't text me when i've been drinking you're not gonna (laughs) in those conditions but um i'm looking over just your catalog of achievements in music and i'm thinking dude at 24 years old like my big objective was not to wake up half naked covered in my own vomit in the middle of the woods (laughs) and you've accomplished just this litany i mean i was playing in a punk band me and odell for playing in government cheese and then an even steven like just screaming at the world but it's mind-blowing where does your focus come from i imagine a lot of it comes from coming from a musical in a very supportive household right because you have extreme drive and focus yeah that's very sweet of you to say uh you know i when I'm living in it, it sometimes seemed like, how the hell did I pull this off on time? Procrastination is a great, great tool, great motivator <laughs> at this age. Um, Listen to also, her at this age. We've got like <laughs> almost 25 years. I'm 47. You're what, 24? 25. Oh, 25. Yeah. At this I know. A lot's age. changed. <laughs> Well, yeah, this focus, it's its amazing to me that well, I'm just reading it. It's like I'm reading something from one of our guests that come on here that like are in their mid-40s like us. Your drive is incredible to me. Thank you very much. I just i just really like doing it and doing anything musical and being a part of any project with a message that I really agree with. I just, you know, want, want to be around those people and I want to make art for all of us that we can all enjoy and... And I, you know. Yeah, and it's important, too. And I think I texted you also. I've been on this big kick about weaponized creativity. And I was like, in mm-hmm. these dark times, 
Like it's very important for us to make art. Art has never been. Now I've kind of switched yeah. what I give all my money to charity wise. I give it all to projects now, creative projects. I like I, that. I like that. Yeah. Because it's like, to me, it's like I said, it's weaponized creativity. It's like the bullwick mm -hmm. against all of this like quasi fascist shit they're trying to ram down our throat now. Art's a great communicator for this, this sort of stuff. And it's subtle. We had um, Anna mm -hmm. from Handmade Moments on a show a few weeks ago, and she does like this type of folk music. And the folk music's like Mr. Bankerman and Don't Pollute Our Rivers. And I was like, you yeah. realized, Anna, if I was to type this on Facebook, people would be screaming libtard in my face. But yeah. you're singing it. Those same people are like, yeah, stick it to the bankers. But if I was to type <laughs> it on Facebook, it would be a totally different thing. And this is places that art and music can go that just me mm -hmm. ranting like an asshole on my Facebook can't reach people. That's very true. It's, if, if there's a good beat under a shitty message, you know, you can get a whole arena of people to sing along with it. Like, that yeah. is true. That That's is how very screwdriver, true. Screwdriver uh, made its living. Yeah. This racist yeah. Nazi screwdriver, this Nazi skinhead band, just singing racist bullshit over a catchy uh. beat. Yeah, yeah, they were a really good sounding punk band, but then they start singing, and you're like, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm <laughs> checking out of this bullshit. Yeah. But it's, um, let me kind of follow up with this, too. In, in your youth, because I remember my youth, and maybe the 80s was different, how do you not get distracted and sidetracked by relationships, by parties, by just wanting to fuck off for 12 hours and play video games? I want to know how you keep that drive at your age. Because I was hyperactive and like OCD and couldn't pay attention to anything when I was 25 sure. years old. Uh, oh, at this age, well, it's getting difficult. It's getting more difficult as I'm growing up. Back in high school, it seemed like, you know, people didn't invite me to parties very often. I had had friends and musician friends that I hung out with, but we didn't really ever just like hang and play video games or anything, you know basically upright bass was the closest friend that I had. So it was really easy to spend a lot of time with that, just kind of practicing some rudimentary stuff or, you know, other than that, I was just not really driven to hang out with a lot of people at that age. Right now living in Los Angeles with a wonderful pinball arcade down the street, it gets a little more <laughs> complicated. Um, yeah. Or the things that you have to do to make rent in between, you know, in between the fun gigs. Uh, I definitely don't feel like I get as much time to just like practice and hone my craft as much. I feel like I'm just kind of learning on the job. Whenever someone calls me, says, Hannah, I need a piece of music that does this. It's like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's find out. And hopefully the first or second cut at it will be what works, you know, I'm trying to right. rely a little bit more on my emotional experience rather than time sitting practicing. Do you work better under pressure? Like, hey, I've got this thing I've got to get it done by tomorrow at noon. Or do you work better if somebody goes, you got six months created your leisure? That's also changing. Uh, procrastination <laughs> has been the name of the game through a lot of college. Now that I'm out, I'm getting better at kind of divvying up the work into small chunks each day. Small chunks is important. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, as, as Kern always says, take a bite of that elephant, like one bite at a time. Eat that elephant one bite at a time. Don't take it all on. <laughs> that's a that's a great way to put it. Yeah, this helps for helps for recovering from a project if it's not all saved until the end. You know, if I if I'm waiting until too close to the due date, then once it's done, it'll take me weeks longer to recover from from something. If I'm taking it at 
unless I'm taking it at an even pace, then the project can be done and I can start the very next day on whatever's next, you know? All right. Well, we got a few minutes left. I want to dig into your solo album because that's another thing that I saw in the bio you sent over. How's the yeah. solo album going? What's it going to be called? Are you playing with a rotating um, like cast of musicians? Or are you kind of just set with the same people? G- give me the lowdown on the solo album. Uh, that's a very good question. The solo album has been... The songs have been written for a few years now and they are all written for electric bass and voice. And... So it is a solo, it's, you know, it's really a singer-songwriter project, except when people hear singer-songwriter, they think it can only be done on an acoustic guitar and with long blonde hair. Uh, mm. but that is not the case for me. Good visual. Short, yeah, short curly brown hair and an electric pink fuzzy bass. Um, I love your so, bass, by the way, as a bass player. Thank you very much for saying so. Uh, mm-hmm. So... The the songs are just a, a lot about, you know, locations or or transition times kind of over the last three, four years of my life and just recording it at home, which is why it's taking a nice long amount of time. But actually, um, so the songs haven't really been performed out in public much, just like one house concert. And then one of the songs I'll be playing tomorrow night at Ember Ember Night's release show. Yes, um, I saw that. Man, I wish I lived out in your area. There, I miss so many it, cool things. It's going to be a pretty special show. Uh, yeah, they don't do much here on top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. <laughs> Not much like culture it. out here. Except for this podcast, you know. It, it, I'm definitely uh, the coolest fucking thing on this mountain, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad title. Um, but, you know, the, the album is coming together one song at a time. There are no, no album titles yet in mind. I don't think I'll be able to come up with anyone until I hear the album from start to finish. But is it just going to be called Hannah Dexter, or do you have a name for the project itself? It'll probably be just Hannah Rose Dexter. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. Keep, it all, keep it all concise and and In-house. Yeah, right. In-house. That's also important too in this social media world. I mean, you're battling a different dragon than we were battling when we were kids, stapling our shitty flyers Ugh. on telephone poles and word of mouth. I mean, you've got a whole like conglomerate of like marketing and information out here. You've got a battle. It's good, and I mean, we could do a whole episode on that. I mean, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's it's strange because you have to be able to, you know, appeal to someone's like instinct and and just like attention right at the moment. Whereas other back in the olden days, you had, you know, uh, suspense, you know, or curiosity. Curiosity doesn't really work the way that it used to seeing a flyer up. And if you lived in a town where there weren't a lot of flyers going up, you could go, Oh, I'm going to make an effort to go and see that. But with everyone filming everything right now, you don't have to make an effort to do anything. It's just right there. So Made that yeah, point plenty a- of times. I always talk about that time um, that Dorsey threw that party. We used to have this channel in D.C. called Captain 20. And at one time uh-huh. they did this marathon of like cross superstars, H.R. Puffin stuff and Stigman the Sea Monster, mm. Land of yeah. the Lost. Mm-hmm. And my buddy Dorsey had a pancake jammy jam party, all night party. <laughs> and like 30 of us put on pajamas and went over there and watched Captain oh, 20. Oh, yeah. But now you can just fucking YouTube it. Now it's like, well, yeah, I, you just, yeah. 
I don't even understand how high school reunions happen anymore. I mean, you already know everything everyone's doing on social media. Why would you? You go to a high school reunions, be like, oh, I haven't seen like Glenn in twenty years. What's he doing? Yeah. Selling vacuum cleaners. But why yeah. would you even do that now? You know everything about everybody. It's just, yeah, you it's just you, you, component. You can just meet at an Applebee's for an happy hour and call it a day. Be like, hey, you know, you know I threw whatever that you. book out back in twenty eleven, <laughs> and it was a, it was like maybe two weeks after my fifteenth year 20th year 15th year i think it was 15th year high school reunion and the girl that put it on was like it's embarrassing there was more people at your cookout from thomas stone than at our high school reunion <laughs> and i was like it's crazy right i mean you can't get people in a freaking high school reunion anymore all right we got to wrap this up here <laughs> maybe that's second. for the best though maybe yeah. <laughs> you don't have an al Bundy talking about his three touchdowns in one game like drunk and drooling all over you. All right, <laughs> let's finish up with a couple things here. I saw an event you did the other night with Jack's um, Cat Swing Trio, but I saw that oh, you yeah. had some also rotating players on there. Is this a regular gig for you, or are you just kind of filling in? What's your relationship with those guys? Yeah, I play with I play with Jack Maelstrom probably once or twice a month, kind of depending. And and those are always really special gigs, you know. Uh, being into being into all styles of jazz. You know, you have to also really like the eras and the fashion sense that came with it. And and that Jack works. is real is really solid about capturing all of that in whatever venue he books at, whatever clothes he puts on for the gig and the and the style of music. It's all very much of the swing era. And so I you know, I'll play with him a couple times a month and and he's also just the nicest guy. But it's a fun little fun little night of time traveling whenever I get called to play with him. Well, my nice. favorite in the sing genre, and um, I mean, he is just a great guy all the way around. He's out in your area, too. Do you know who Lee Presson is? Lee Presson and the I names? don't know who this is. Oh, you have oh, got, yeah. got to check out Lee Presson. I'll send yeah. you a link to his stuff. Lee it is absolutely Lee Presson yeah. and the Nails. I love Lee. Yeah, he's please great. send me a and link. He's such like a John Waters like throwback type character. And that's, it's not yeah. an uh-huh. act because I know the guy. It's his, and he's also um, the uncle of Bonnie Morgan, who is like the most mm. creative person on, she's a contortionist and performer. And okay. like that, that whole family is just this kind of circus-ish performance, yep. like yep. acrobatic family of like mad yeah. science. I love those guys. They're incredible. <laughs> Can't get enough yeah. of them. I love the circus crowd of Los Angeles. They're the best. A horse, people, spoon, bu- a horse a spoon, a bucket that I, that we played their song at the top, or our song at the top. We do a lot of circusy gigs or shows around town. I just love okay. getting to say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to play at the circus tonight." You know, nice. like oh, the sword the swallower thing. that we know. You know, blah blah blah. I used to work for Bentley Brothers Circus. Um, this old ghetto circus back in the day, I'm talking early 90s, <laughs> mid 90s, and they were so ghetto that a clown would come around and hand out coloring books to the kids in the bleachers. And then about two uh-huh. minutes later, another clown would come around and be like, that'll be $2. So you either had to rip Whoa. the coloring book out of were shady, out of the kids' hands or put $2. It was like, it, it was like gift buying by extortion for your kids. And they were yeah, that is not off. that's not the heart of the circus. No, no it's not. That's they were not at all. All right, well, oh, let's wow. end on that dreadful note. Um, tell everybody what you <laughs> what you got coming up this summer, and some of your highlights. 
when the solo album, the projected time you think it'll be out, is it going to get out there to the public this year? And where we can find you online? Uh, so many questions. Okay, highlights this summer. Uh, tomorrow this night, playing with Ember Knight. This interrogation, hasn't it? <laughs> it really has. Tomorrow night, playing with Ember Knight and his orchestra at the Rec Center in downtown Los Angeles. And I could not be more thrilled about that. Uh, July, I'm going camping up in Yosemite. That's pretty exciting for me. Uh, The summer's going to be spent recording this solo bass and voice album and mixing it and hoping to have it out by October. And right right right. now, the best way to keep abreast of my musical interests is on Instagram at Hannah Rose Dexter. Very cool. Very cool. And I mean... I know you sent me a little bit of stuff. Do you have an actual accumulation of your music, like at a band camp or somewhere you can find all your stuff online? Or is it just kind of spread I, out everywhere? I don't. It's pretty spread out, you know? I'm Because it's all from very different projects and, and all across the board. But, you know, once the once the album is, is finished and pressed, it'll be available on Bandcamp, And all that information will be available through the Instagram. Very the sweet. I hope you will come back. I would love to come back. Yeah, Thanks for the call, guys. Right <laughs> on. Thank you so much for calling in. We are going yeah, to move on you. to our new next section. All righty, guys. So we're starting a new segment here on Musical Osmosis tonight called The Process with Apollo's Son. And this is where rapper Apollo's Son is going to come in. He's going to walk us through his journey and the creation of his upcoming album. It can get better start to finish. Let me get everybody a little bit of um, context here, how this happened. We had Apollo on, I think in January, beginning of the year, got to know him personally, um, got, you know, got, got his real name, got on his real Facebook. He started posting a lot of stuff, started going through a transition, putting up a lot of positive stuff, a lot of deep stuff. I remember maybe in March, he put up this really, really open and honest post. And I was like, man, I got to start following this cat to get away from all the crazy out there. Cause what he's saying is really resonating with me. Um, maybe a couple months go by, he reaches out to me. Hey man, I'm in the midst of making this new album. Can I come back on musical osmosis? I was like, absolutely, dude. We love having you on. But after looking at what he's been going through and the pictures of his cabin and his sobriety and everything that's been happening, my thought process was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this justice, the material, his journey, everything that led to the creation of this album in 45 minutes. It's just not going to happen. So I had a little back and forth with him and I was like, hey, why don't we just have you come on here every episode and give us like a 15, 20 minute update on your creative process and kind of walk us through how this, an album like this comes to fruition. And that's kind of how the process happens. So let's go ahead and get Apollo's son in here. Apollo, what's up? Yeah, what's going on, Nick? How's it going? Good, good, man. I want to thank you so much for agreeing to do this like kind of semi biweekly segment with us. Oh, good. Thank you. It's an honor to be a part of it. And I appreciate you guys for allowing me to uh, share some of my journey with uh, your listeners and all that good stuff. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm sure the listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Um, We came up with this idea about a week, maybe two weeks ago. You've been working on this album for a few months now. So let's play a little catch up here so we can get back on track.
Tell us what the catalyst was for this album. And also, your last album came out eight years ago. So why now, after eight years, jumping back into it? Well, yeah, my I guess my well, my last official full length right. album came right. That's eight years. Wow, eight years. Oh, jeez. Okay, um, so I put out like an EP <laughs> five five years ago, something like that. Um, it was a very like limited release and stuff. Um, and I had always wanted, like, I always knew. I'm, I'm for some reason I'm on this like I I pick out phrases that resonate in my head and they they always seem to either end up as like song titles tattoos on my body like I just got a tattoo on my wrist that says it takes time and yes. you know I got that tattoo because I was having a conversation with somebody very close to me about things that I've been going through and that phrase came up and I was like I just said I need to get that tattooed on me because everything takes time so that Mm-hmm. So the concept of it can get better was actually, um, I actually had it tattooed on my spine. Um, the words that it, it can, it can get better. And I discovered that phrase, uh, from an overpass on one of the main highways that cuts through the middle of, of York County, which is where I'm from in Pennsylvania. And, um, the roads known as it's interstate 83, but somebody graffiti and it was terrible it was just like it, it wasn't artsy at all it was just some random person but they wrote it can get better on an overpass and i would always see it you know driving up to to different towns and whatnot and it just stuck with me and i was like you know what that's what i'm going to name my next record so i pretty much knew that this album was going to have this title for years it was just a matter of when and whether or not the album itself would match up to that phrase and now is that time in my life and it's it's more fitting than ever like if i if i could go and get that tattooed on me again and start over i would you know that these that phrase really is a defining uh a term in my life right now uh, and I'm just not looking back. So that's kind of, could you have done this process a couple years ago or did it have to be this moment to get this, this creative product out of you? Um, I mean, I actually started to work on a a full length album back in 2014. I want to say maybe 2015 and, uh, basically wrote most of the album, um, and then just kind of stopped and, and just didn't record any of it. So maybe someday I'll record that project. And, um, but, and I'm actually glad that I never put it out because it wasn't, um, it wasn't as striking as the music now. And it wasn't as potent. It was just kind of like a, uh, a, uh, I don't know. It sounds like a inner, well, you were at, you were at a, type thing right like it was kind of like an intermission in between what you're going through now and the last thing you put out yeah Yeah, definitely so this this the timing on this album and i started writing songs here and there over the last two years um the the whole album is actually produced uh by jay boom um he's he's from finland and uh he's a good friend of mine he's he produced songs off my last album falling becomes great and um, we decided to do a full-length album together because we created some pretty good songs together. We felt that our energies meshed very well. And he's also become a good friend of mine. Like, we, 
we share pictures of what's going on in our back, each other's backyards, because we're, you know, on the other side of the ocean from each other. So I consider him a friend as well. And uh, we're actually talking about when the album comes out, um, about me flying over to Finland. And, right on. Um, yeah, and doing like a release in the United States and releasing it over there as well and uh, doing some shows. And our main goal is actually to put it out on vinyl. We want to press it up on vinyl, so nice um yeah that's kind of on my musical bucket list i've never done it before now with that resurgence of vinyl coming back around yeah it's kind of like a collection sure. you know it's like a collector's item and and people are, have that physical product again that they take care of i this album is very special um and i feel like it needs to get a proper release in the form of a vinyl um because it's very important to me and i want to share it with uh, as obviously as many people as possible, but I would like to have it for when I'm an old man. And like, if I have grandkids and shit, you know what I mean? So I could be like, look what I did, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, but they would know where I, where I was at that time, because this is probably, I would say the most defining, you know, 2018 has been the most defining year of my entire existence. I would say. Yeah. It's crazy to watch you take that journey publicly. It, I think it takes a lot of guts too. Odell, this kind of reminds me what he's talking about. I think a year ago, I was talking about this company that'll put your ashes inside vinyl and let you pick all the tracks for it, which I think mm -hmm. is an amazing idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah well, that's yeah. what, no, like what I was about to say a little earlier was that, you know, you said you stopped the process in 2014, but you were at a different, a totally different mindset mindset back then oh, yeah. than you are now too so um mm -hmm. i think that mm -hmm. just the fact that you're putting out something now in the in the mindset that you're in now is probably even more freeing than it would have been back you know four years ago oh for sure and in that time frame my my style of writing has changed in my opinion for the better um yeah. i have a i have a better grasp of of structuring songs in terms of the flow and breath control and those kind of things. And I'm kind of getting like, I used to, when I would write before I kind of wrote very similar in every song. Now I'm changing up flows all throughout songs with like singing and rapping and rapping faster and then slower and then more sparse and then more words. And, you know, so I'm getting, I'm having more fun with it as a writer too, which is kind of necessary because uh, in general, the album, uh is angry it's an angry record um but i like also, it already <laughs> yeah it's also uh it's also a very enlightening record too and when i know nick when you mentioned the catalyst um without going into too many details um because i'm doing my best to not uh, allow certain situations to dictate my conversations anymore i had a very 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 ugly breakup um, okay back back in February and that was kind of like the last draw and um I was also you know at the time to deal with my issues uh basically just being alive and being a human being on this crazy ass planet that we all in, inhabit um yep. you know I would go through these stages of life where I would cope with alcohol and um it was getting pretty bad in terms now I wasn't like you know it got worse after the breakup before it got better. But right. um, le leading up into that point, basically I would drink to cope with my issues. And I, you know, like I said, I wasn't like a, 
textbook definition of an alcoholic, but I was definitely self-medicating and abusing it um, to deal with my issues, which obviously is not a good idea for anyone because it creates um, an environment that's very fragile. So it was very easy for me to blow up at this time because I was getting very angry at the world. I was angry at the relationship because I was being lied to for a very long time. And, um, you know, and there was no truth there. And um, I basically was living a lie. And, um, and that taints your I, view of everything. It can't help but to poison your view. Oh, for sure. Because that's supposed to your uh, your romantic, you know, your partner in life, that's supposed to be home for you, right? That's supposed to be a safe space. And my my space was not safe as much as I wanted it to be. And as much as I thought it was, I was wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I got, I got angry at myself. I was angry at the other individual involved. Um, I was angry at people that were judging me after not hearing my side of what was going on and just assuming mm-hmm. that I was this, I was basically being painted as a drunk and that's not true. That wasn't true about me. So my journey in terms of being uh, sober and not touching alcohol it's not because I was like a, a falling down drunk every single day of my life, like puking and like cussing out babies and all kinds of crazy <laughs> shit. That's not, you know, no, if, if anything, I would hurt myself more. You know what I mean? I'd break stuff or punch a hole in a wall or, you know, and, and, and essentially end up harming myself. I wasn't harming other people, but obviously if people witness that it can harm their psyche, you know, and, and I'm not proud of it. You know, but it's, right. it's where I was at that time. But do you so, find in making this album, because you're being very candid and honest here, do you find making this album, it's the only way you could have produced this is by being absolutely candid and honest in the music or it just wasn't going to fucking work? Oh, yeah. 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 I think, yeah, this album basically is all that rage and pent up rage that I developed over the last few years. Um, I put it into the record instead because it, you know, with, with not drinking anymore and I'm actually coming up, I'm getting pretty close to four months now. Um, yeah, I saw I June 4th. Pen, it know. was third month. So yeah. yeah. Fourth of July. It'll be yeah, four yeah, months, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So that is crazy. Um, and, I, and I've been like, yeah, I've been like DD and for people and stuff. And like, I'm around, I, I can go to a bar and not drink. I'll drink water. And, uh, well, my hat's you off know. to you. Cause I don't know if I can, <laughs> I, don't, I try not to do it. I, I can't do that often because I normally get pretty irritated by drunk people now. So it's, All right, well, yeah. Let's back. Cause we're kind of getting off track from the album. Cause I want to sure, hear about sure, the writing sure. process. I guess the sure. question's twofold. First, when you're doing the writing process, what does it take to go from paper to get those thoughts, those words, that emotion, those lyrics onto that beat and picking the right beat and like kind of stringing it all together? And two, was the bulk of your lyrical writing done at the cabin? Because I know that's kind of a safe haven for you. Uh, yeah, I actually ended up, um, I had some sparse songs written uh, prior to all of these issues that happened. And um, I actually started rewriting some of those songs because something kind of snapped in addition to the negative stuff that snapped in terms of my writing. And I developed a newer style of writing and like, I feel like I'm able to fit on beats better. So basically the process is J boom will send me beats and, you know, um, and I'll give him a listen and we'll either reject them. And he, 
everything he does, I enjoy as a fan. Like I'm a fan of his music, and so everything that and who is he this? Sends me, it's uh, he goes by Jay Boom is his name. And where can we uh, find we, him online? Just to give him a little plug. Uh, if you just get on like Instagram and just search Jay Boom, it's gotcha. uh, just Jay. Yeah, Jay Dot Boom, and you should be. He, he does a lot of really cool videos. Like he does videos of beat making. Um, uh, like right on his MPC, uh, his beat machine, his sampler, he'll play all the pads live. So he does like live drumming and everything. And it's pretty cool. Like he, he, he has a pretty decent following on Instagram and stuff. A lot of, a lot of people gets a lot of views on his videos and stuff. So, but basically like we decided that, you know, everything that he creates, we kind of either save it for the album. And then if not, it gets kicked out, you know, there's beats that will come in that I'll like, and then realize I can't write to him and then I'll kick them back out and he will use them for other projects or sell them to artists okay. or use them for, you know, so I've been very, very picky about every, every song on the, on the album. And, um, so the process starts with that. And normally I, I wait until I hear the beat that I feel like I have to write to, you know what I mean? I, I, where I feel like I, I can't not write to it. Right. Um, almost like a siren so call. Right. So those are the ones that I keep. Those are the ones that as soon as I hear, I'm like, Oh, I got to write to this. Those end up being the ones that I keep. So we're, we're trying to keep it, you know, a solid, uh, the goal is 10 tracks with a, with the intro. Um, and I'm trying to write it kind of in like a chronological order. So the very okay. first line on, you know, on the entire album is on February 21st, my life snapped. I gave so many years away, I'll never get back. And wow. that's basically where, um, <clears throat> that's when things really went south for me. I mean, I was already kind of just clinging to a, a, a ledge, you know, and I knew I was going to fall. Eventually. Right, because you my, sounded knew... pretty frazzled and, and um, mm -hmm. edgy when we talked to you in mid-January. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, and only a few weeks later is when, you know, things really crumbled and, like, I walked out. I basically quit my job that I, you know, my nine to five, as they say, I quit that. Um, and I quit that in a matter of days after, uh, after the, the, the breakup occurred and I went heavy. I mean, I won't even lie to you guys. I won't say what I was doing, but I went heavy into drugs, um, for about three weeks. And oh, that's wow. when I decided with the whole like sobriety thing. So March 12th was when I made the decision and started really documenting, like, I'm going to, you know, back off of all of this stuff. I spent a lot of money that I shouldn't have spent, that I should have been saving because I wasn't working, you know. And, um, and but now, since then, I've just been focusing my energy on working on fixing up this cabin and, and, and writing this album. A vast majority of this album was written in a matter of about three weeks. I was Ooh, writing okay. songs. Yeah, I was writing songs every single day, nonstop, and I I write a lot of them up in my up in my cabin because I have this 400 square foot cabin I'm renovating in the woods. I may have, I think we may have talked about it before, but yeah, um, you know it's on a creek um, and it's quiet. And I recently discovered I have a pair of owls living like 20 feet from my cabin, so I get these owls visiting me every night. It's very it's very trippy. I mean, it's like a it's like a it's it's like a hippie haven up there. Yeah, me, it sounds very Hemingway. Heck yeah, yeah. Or yeah, Waldo yeah. Um, Emerson, like an athlete. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, it's my own um, Walden's Pond, if you will. Right, right. <laughs> um, so you know, and I can like 
Right. And I, I have like an old, there's like a super old antenna that I can climb up and get on the roof. And, you know, so I've actually written part, parts of songs on, on my roof. Um, I primar- primarily write on the one porch. I like to write when it's raining out because rain brings me peace um, and it helps to clear my thoughts. So most of this album, and I'm going to, I'm actually uh, getting ready to do new press photos for the album. And we're shooting, we're doing the press photos actually at the cabin because seems like the last one. It's, choice. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a badass backdrop in terms of location and, and being in nature. So, you know, it's not like a fucking railroad track and me holding a guitar. Like, you know, you see so many people, the played out old railroad photos and stuff. I, I'm trying to get away from railroads and I'm trying to. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're not Bon people. Jovi. <laughs> no, 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 no. So the, so it not only not only uh, will the press photos be fitting in terms of they'll be true they'll be honest they'll be exactly in the place where i wrote the album they'll be exactly in the place that i'm renovating that is to be my home where i live full time so let me interject here and, real quick what's sure. more important to you the process for apollo sun for billy the person or the process of what it might do for the fans who listen to it and benefit from it um I mean, to be completely honest, it, the process is is really about me. Um, I obviously, when I write music and I write songs, um, I want to help others. You know what I mean? And I want others to uh, find a sense of relief in the music that I write. But this whole thing is really about my own healing, and hopefully, that will show through lyrically. And in terms of the content and in terms of the songs and if I, sh- I already have some ideas for videos and stuff that we're going to shoot, but you know, I really want it to be, um, a, a healing record for others as well, who may have gone through similar scenarios in my life where they thought their life was one thing only to find out that they were living a lie for a few years. And, um, you know, had their reputation uh, tarnished because of people lying about them. Right. Um, I'm very, you know, because I'm very upfront. If I if I fuck up, man, I will I will tell people. Like, if I do something stupid, I don't have a problem telling people that it's you know. So I'm I'm honest in that way. It's when other people make up things is what really caused a lot of issues for me this year, and some of them had some ramifications that I'm still paying for that I'm not happy about. And, you know, but I'm saving that energy instead of drinking and doing something stupid that, you know, I get into a car accident or something dumb. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to put it where I know how to strike the hardest and that's on, on record and it's, and it's coming. And well, I think you're doing be- the most like Nietzsche will to power thing you can do, man. Cause like I said, I, I haven't known you that long, maybe less than a year, but I've seen the transformation as much as someone can on social media. You could be right. like totally yeah. faking everything, but I don't believe you are. But yeah. I've seen the trans- yeah. transformation watching you through um, social media. All right, we got to wrap this up soon. I want to sure. play a new track. I was actually going to ask you if this was going to be the first track on the album, but you kind of already answered that. But give us the lead the in. Track. Second track, awesome. Give us a lead in about one leads to two. Um, I already know it's about your sobriety, but kind of give the audience a little bit of context here, and then I want to play this song before we jump out of here. 
Okay, sure. Yeah. So one leads to two um, is a song that documents and kind of goes through what some of the scenarios that occurred for me drinking and uh, how it turned me into a different person. But I tried to make it more of a fun song. So it's a it's more upbeat and it has a like a more of a catchy hook. And um, basically, it's just saying, you know, I, I openly apologize to people that I've hurt from things that I've done when, when I was drinking. And um, it's basically a song that Do you I think that'll for, reach people that you know? They'll hear that in a song and be like, oh, wow, man, that's really cool. Oh, they norm yeah, they normally do. I actually had last month, I had like an ex-girlfriend from years ago call me randomly asking, being like, oh, I heard you're making music again. You better, I hope you're not talking about me on your new album. I was like, oh. <laughs> that was, was a like, little bit narcissistic, Timmy. Right. I just said, no, don't worry. You're safe. I said, I have different targets this time around. Don't you worry. Can you talk about <laughs> me on your album? I don't care what horrible shit you say about me. I just want to get myself <laughs> out there in the lexicon. Well, you know, after I had that conversation, I was like, you know what? It's my album. I'll write about who and whatever I want, because those are my feelings and they're true to me. And I have every right to speak my piece. As long as I'm not blasting people's names, I can say whatever I want. And that's exactly what I'm doing on this record. There you go. You know, you have to do what I said earlier. It has to be honest or it just doesn't work at this point. Right. Right. So one leads to two is my honest, my most honest attempt to, to express to people about some of the dumb shit I did when drinking and, kind of the lessons that I learned and, and um, hopefully by the end of it, we can kind of relax because that's what the, that album or that particular song to me was like, uh, I don't know. It was a super, super stress reliever. A good friend of mine, her daughter, um, she lets her daughter listen to pretty much anything, you know, that she listens to because she, she doesn't want her to be like covered from the world. And, um, her daughter loves the song. She sings the chorus and she's like seven years old. <laughs> so I'm like, Hey man, I'm catching the kids too on this one. All right, cool. I'll take it. So has this um, been more so yeah. about fixing yourself or has it been more about fixing your relationships because you do give shout outs on there? It's, it's more about fixing myself. There's relationships that will never be fixed. And I'm okay I, with that because as long as I make peace with it, I'm not, they, those people are not concerned with me or how I feel about this world or how I'm doing inside. So that song and every song that I write is not for them. It's for me to heal. And if it impacts them in a negative way, I'm sorry, but I got hurt. And when I get hurt, I talk about it. So maybe you should, maybe if anything, it'll get them to think twice before they do some dumb shit to the next person. You know, so that is fair. All right, let's play yeah. some one leads to two. Hang tight with us, Apollo. I'll come back mm -hmm. and wrap this up because we've got to get out of here. D, you ready? Sure. To hit? And by the way, D had nailed it. She was like playing it today and she's like, damn, this is infectious. So she actually sure. nailed it with that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I 
guess I gotta walk, I'm told it's best that I continue I cannot carry hate, I'm underweight from shit I've been through Admitting when I'm wrong, I like the ego of a man I'm begging on my knees, please see me, leave me stand I started drinking and thinking that I was built Not tall as God, but came close when I was holding stilts I drove into a bridge, focused on my hopelessness Hope was holding on to hope that some rope to choke this kid He let his anger dominate him when he would get mad At times he breaks some shit, and other times he would be sad This was a pattern that started when I was young Not hard-hearted, but hard-hearted when I was stung, uh By any honeybee looking for a king That's called a metaphor if you adore that type of thing, uh The cycles that I swing are like a rifle to the brain Sick of sitting idle, grab the microphone and say I could take a drink or cherish my soul I could walk away, turn the page and let go I know my habits are out of control I still smile knowing that I'm learning to grow I could take a drink or cherish my soul I could walk away, turn the page and let go I know my habits are out of control I still smile knowing that I'm learning to grow so when the issues would rise in relationships, I would try to replace a kiss with supplies of a maker's fist. So I'd hide in a cage and cliff in my mind where the racers live in my rhymes. When the papers would drink and drive, it's a major risk, yeah. I'd raise my voice when I would drink to back them down. There seems to be a link between the fear and how I sound, uh. I've acted like a clown even when I'm not provoked. And put some drugs inside my brain until the pain was cloaked. There's people in my past who witnessed what I did. Emotion led the way until the day would turn to shit, uh. So then the birds would chirp and spread around the town that Billy is a crazy motherfucker when he's down uh they can't believe that this man who demands the peace becomes the same cancer advancing it when he speaks I'm looking for the answers while dancing on damaged feet it's hard to salvage rain when it's wasted on hell's heat yeah. I could take a drink or cherish my soul I could walk away turn the page and let go I know my habits are out of control I still smile knowing that I'm learning to grow I could take a drink or cherish my soul I could could walk away, turn the page and let go I know my habits are out of control I still smile knowing that I'm learning to grow my actions broke a couple hearts like they were made of glass I search inside the eyes to find a window, pains are smashed I take a drink and turn the page we made of flames and ash And burn it to the ground, browning all the blades of grass I felt it trickle in my veins until my blood would spill Misdirected my weapon that I would aim to kill I take a shot and drink a pint until the night was gone Some nights I wake up on the floor, wake up on the lawn Sometimes I break a phone or write a poem that I recite To any angel with infected wings affecting flight I'm learning lessons about myself that I would try to hide I threw him in the ocean Hoping that the tide would rise I'm sorry to the people That I hurt when I would drink I put these words into the paper Using blood for ink I'll never let the poison Sink into my soul Because I am a man That understands I'm in control yeah. I could take a drink Or cherish my soul I could walk away Turn the page and let go I know my habits Are out of control I still smile Knowing that I'm learning to grow I could take a drink Or cherish my soul I could could walk away, turn the page and let go I know my habits are out of control I still smile knowing that I'm learning to grow Such a fucking great track, man and, um, Yes, thank you, thank you. Very different Glad from you your previous it. stuff Such a storytelling element in this You can tell it's yes. close Yeah, the goal, the goal um, is I've, I've been writing the album Like the verses separate from all my choruses I'm doing my choruses later and I'm trying to make all my choruses be obviously filled with uh, emotion and knowledge and things like that. But I, I really want to write catchy choruses so I can draw people in that may not necessarily be people that listen to songs for content, 
draw them in with choruses and then when they listen to the verses they get more of the the substance so hopefully what's the uh, biggest um obstacle in that process uh determining whether or not i can like sing and shit (laughs) and like do you know what i mean whether or not i i am vocally capable of doing what the chorus requires demands right right Um, got you you know what I mean? There's certain things that I can do. Like I can sing within a certain range. And if I go outside of that range, it's very bad. And so um, determining whether or not I should be doing the course or if I should reach out to my network of friends and, and people that I consider family that could help me out. You know, that's kind of the, where I get caught up. All right. Well, I want to wrap this up. Tell everybody right now, because we're gonna. This is gonna be ongoing until this album actually goes to press and is out there for everybody to purchase. Where are you in the process? Are you thirty percent in, forty percent in, and how are you feeling about it so far? Uh, in terms of the overall process, I would say I'm probably about twenty five percent of the way in. Uh, writing is almost done, um, and I've been trying to record at least one song a week. I actually recorded a song last week. Um, about the quote-unquote ugly breakup, and I hated the song when, when I was done. I was like, I'm not in that place anymore. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't want to say those things anymore, so I'm actually rewriting the song in its entirety. So that song is starting over again. So everything, you know, so um, we're hoping to have the album out this fall. Fall of 2018 is when, when this thing will be out. Is the technical right. end of this grueling to you? Or do you very much like sitting down at that mixing board and doing the technical end as well? Um, it depends on the day. <laughs> um, some days I love it because I do like, I know how I like my music to sound. And I'm also, I'm working with a, a local uh, studio and the guy that owns the studio, um, he is, does some engineering work, does some mixing, but he also is a student to learn And, you know, I've been doing it for a really long time. So um, it's a really cool process because we're learning from each other. He learns from me. I learn from him. And um, he's just been very much a blessing with helping me. He doesn't do anything like on a commercial level, at least at this time. So I'm not, there's really nothing for me to share in terms of check out such and such studio.com. It's just a private studio um, that he has in his house. His name's Brad. So shout out to Brad. Um, for everything he's done for me. But, um, so, but I, I like getting involved with the, the entire process. So it's, it's, you know, some days I love it. Some days I hate it. Some days, I don't some days you it need again. it. Some days you never some want days to do I it need again. It. Yep. They're exactly. So Adele, process. let's wrap this up. Um, you heard the song. I don't know if you've been listening to it before. I listened to it about 20 times over the last two days. Kind of give us your first gut instinct of this, Adele. Oh, I love it. I think it's great. Like, and and like you said, it's the, 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 what really grabbed me, the message in it is great. But like you said, the way you use, um, the chorus or the, or the, or the sub chorus with the I, the I, the I, the I, I thought that was, yeah, 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 it's nice, man. I got it. (laughs) I definitely got it. Thank you. you. And that song's not even complete, right? It has to go through various processes before it goes out to the public. Yeah. You actually got the like raw recording. That's not mixed. Right oh, on. Wow. And that's yeah, what I yeah. like about doing this because we can listen to the process and then somebody can buy the album and then go back and listen to the transition. Listen to 
from yeah. the very like mm-hmm. from the first strike on the fucking anvil all the way to yep. the finished product. And I think that's going to be an yeah. amazing journey. So I thank you for letting yeah. us take this journey with you. We've got to get out of here as always. Apollo, tell us where we can find you on the interwebs. And we'll talk to you again in two weeks. All right, sounds good. Uh, you can find all of my music for free download um, at apollosstun.com. It's all one word, no apostrophe in there. Um, if you just do a Google search for Apollo Sun, you'll find all the YouTube stuff. And I'm on Spotify and like iTunes. Um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, so any of the, you know, all your major so Instagram, I'm on all that stuff. So it's pretty easy to track me down. So any search for Apollo Sun or just go to apollosun.com. Um, and you should be able to be taken down uh, either a really cool rabbit hole for yourself or I'll ruin your life. I don't know which one. <laughs> I don't think it'll ruin anyone's life. Odell, <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks recording with Dirk uh, Gordon of the Equals. How fucking stoked yes. are you? This is this uh, this is history in the making, man. This is talking yeah. history. Yeah. No, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. All right. Let's get out of here. Um, once again, Apollo, can't thank you enough for doing these yeah, segments. Thank you, I'm man. looking thank forward you. to seeing how thank this unfolds. Guys. D, we're going to play some more of Hannah's music. We're playing Impossible Soul by her marching band project, Big Girl Party. This this is just mind-blowing. So let's do that with some, <laughs> with some of Hannah Rose Dexter. <laughs>